show. This show today is with Marty Bent. Marty is, as many of you may know, the publisher of the Daily Bitcoin newsletter, Marty's Bent. He's also the host, co-host of Tales from the Crypt, a very popular uh, podcast in the Bitcoin space. In it, he and his co-host, Matt O'Dell, uh, speak with guests, entrepreneurs, experts in the industry, as well as break down some of the relevant news, introduce and explain innovations uh, and new services that are popping up in the space, and just generally shoot the shit in a very uh, casual, very open, very accessible sort of uh, dialogue. So if you are not currently subscribed or if you have not checked out the Tales from the Crypt podcast yet, definitely go and do that if you're interested in learning more and keeping up with all the goings on in Bitcoin. This is the Rapid Fire episode. If you enjoy this and you want to hear more of a casual discussion between myself and Marty, then you can download the further discussion episode where we spoke for about an hour. That's it. I hope you enjoy. Let's do it. All right. So uh, I don't know if you've heard previous podcasts, but this is the part where I, I do a bunch of rapid fire questions. So I'll just read the question. You respond however you like, and then the last part will be a word association, which is just I say a word, you say the first word that comes to your head. Okay. You good? <laughs> All right. What is money? Uh, time stored. If you had to explain Bitcoin to your grandmother or someone over 80, what would you say? Uh, yeah, I would. I would By the way, pass is acceptable. Uh, gold for the answer. digital age. I think, I think my grandmother would expect understand what is the primary reason why bitcoin is important or interesting to you liberty liberty i think we're uh we live in a time where people take liberty for granted and civil liberties are being eroded every day and it really is a uh, a way to take back a very very strong civil liberty and a very important civil liberty um and yeah i'm all about freedom at the end of the day and i do think that is eroding throughout the world and bitcoin sort of gives that back to us in some capacity how long after after you first heard of Bitcoin did you start learning more about it and purchase it? Uh, started learning about it probably a few months after I first saw it, and then it took me probably like a year, year and a half until I first bought. I was a poor college student. What has been your most effective method of educating people about Bitcoin in conversation or more formally? Uh, most recently, the energy argument. Um, because everybody's got climate change on top of their minds, so framing Bitcoin as a way to be more energy efficient and then create a, a digital gold that can be transferred anywhere in the world uh, sort of gets people uh, interested, at least some of the people that I've been speaking to recently. Would you be able to give me that spiel as part of the answer? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, Bitcoin provides an opportunity to become more energy efficient in a time uh, where it is obviously... Um, on the top of everybody's mind is, is energy uh, consumption and use. So if you have the ability to take uh, gas that would have otherwise been flared and sent into the atmosphere, uh, making it 30 to 40 times worse uh, than if it were captured and, <coughs> excuse me, and if it were captured and uh, used and expended for the atmosphere, um, and you, you have the ability to, to basically help reduce carbon emissions or gas emissions into the atmosphere by capping that and, and turning it into digital gold by mining Bitcoin. And uh, the, the first um, 
the most common uh, sort of first pushback I get is like, why haven't people been doing that already? It's because there isn't much incentive. Like these uh, oil basins are in very uh, disparately located areas. Uh, they're hard to get to. And, and then more importantly, the, the energy is hard to transport. So uh, somebody has to come on site and consume the energy on site. And before Bitcoin mining in particular, there really hasn't been an incentive to do so. Um, even though going forward, supercomputing might take up some of that energy as well. Uh, Bitcoin really uh, creates uh, strong energy efficiencies across the energy supply chain. So it helps make the, the oil producers more profitable. It helps cut emissions and uh, it helps secure and decentralize Bitcoin at the end of the day. So it's like a win-win-win. Yeah. And even with the computing, uh, if even if that starts com competing with it, let's say, I mean, Bitcoin ultimately is going to be the most saleable good, you know? So mm -hmm. what would you, I mean, you couldn't ask for something better for excess energy other than converting it into the most saleable good there is with a 24 hour open market for it. So, right. Um, and so then it's, again, these are like hard concepts for sure. Uh, actually this, that's not a hard concept for like the energy efficiency once people see it. And that's actually, that had my father-in-law have an aha moment over this summer, which was like, ah, oh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been very sweet bittersweet yeah. Um, yeah I think I can't wait until the narrative shifts from like the energy consumption of Bitcoin is going to destroy the world to the way that Bitcoin uses energy and the ecosystem created might actually save the world you know from an energy and yeah. emissions perspective yeah, then, yeah and then from there pushes us to space right it was, once we're energy efficient here using all of our energy sources to their utmost capacity and point our eyes to the sky and start colonizing space. Exciting times. Um, next one. Can Bitcoin be stopped? If so, what is Bitcoin's biggest vulnerability? If not, why not? Uh, biggest vulnerability would probably be solar flare, um, which is the earth has bigger problems if that's, if that's happening. Uh, I go back and forth on whether or not the state could stop it at this point. I'd like to think it can't, but um, I had a conversation with Eric Foskell last week, and he seems to think uh, it would be naive to think that the, the states are not or organized enough or capable enough of attacking Bitcoin. But then uh, you look at the geopolitical landscape today, and you find it pretty hard to conceive uh, some of these countries coming together to, to attack Bitcoin and uh, not having at least one or two big players see it as an opportunity. So I do think Bitcoin might be uh, just from pure incentive, safe from from a state attack. But yeah, I think the biggest vulnerability, um, hopefully there's no protocol bugs, but even if there was a protocol bug, I don't think it would be bad for Bitcoin, but I don't think it would be a death sentence. Uh, again, I think a decade in with that amount of proof of work at this point is, is I do think it is uh, more likely to be here in a hundred years than, than not likely. Yeah. What was your most recent aha or level up in your understanding of Bitcoin? Um, it's a good one. That's a good one. Um, the most recent aha. trying to think of which one there's so many i mean i've been having um a lot of aha moments around like multi-signature and, and 
securing Bitcoin. And then I think this week with uh, Justin Moon's BitBoy in particular, I had a very big aha, holy shit, like you're going to be able to make Bitcoin hardware out of basically anything. And maybe uh, the world of hardware, Bitcoin hardware in particular, as we know it now, will look nothing like it does today, where you have centralized companies issuing uh, hardware wallets uh, for individuals. And instead, you have uh, like open source software across the web and then users are more incentivized to to create their own hardware with disparate uh sort of uh computing components uh because that's that supply chain is 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 probably more secure than than a targeted uh bitcoin hardware device supply chain yeah yeah i I saw that too i thought it was super cool and it made you know i've been thinking for a while or i think it's it's fairly obvious if you give it a little thought but i i feel like you know, this self-sovereignty movement is culmin- is working towards a culmination where you're almost completely self-sovereign, completely independent, you know? So what will the future look like when everyone has 3D printers in their home where they can print all the hardware required to make their own gun, hardware wallet, whatever, you know? So, and they have their own source of food and they have their own independent energy source. And I feel like things... You know, maybe the 20th century was like the burst of globalization, right? Like everything became global. We got avocados from Mexico and we got, you know, rice from China and all that kind of shit. Maybe the 21st century is like that contraction back down to the individual and all these technologies are making that possible. And as a result, people are more less dependent on others and therefore less susceptible to being coerced and less, you know, susceptible to corruption, all that kind of stuff. Uh, So, I mean, I think... That's pro- you're probably right. That's probably how things are going to go. As great as the, as necessary as the existing hardware companies are and have been in the evolution of this industry, maybe, maybe it's moving towards a more DIY sort of thing. Yeah. Now let me be very clear. I I love all the companies working on Bitcoin dedicated hardware yeah. and have used many other services. But yeah, now after seeing what Justin did and then the team behind Spectre, another sort of personalized. Uh, hardware device put together with disparate computing components um yeah i mean we talk a lot about operational security and 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 risk and and how to sort of close attack vectors and i think um not having a a dedicated supply chain to these devices makes a lot of sense what do you think will be bitcoin's biggest impact on society (laughs) um hmm yeah, it's gonna. I mean, there's gonna be a lot of hard lessons learned, right? I think, I think it's just gonna. The biggest impact it will have on society is that it will force people to come to grips with the fact that they've been living a lie. <laughs> I think. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's it's gonna force reality on people, and uh, like we expounded upon it uh, earlier in the episode. But yeah, I just think the the. the um, divert or the uh, perversions created throughout the system because of uh, the way money works have really distorted reality um, or people's conception of reality, mm-hmm. perception of reality. Excuse me. Um, and uh, if Bitcoin is successful, and a lot of people adopt Bitcoin, and there is a Bitcoin standard in the future, I think it's going to be uh, the biggest impact on society uh, will be the fact that it forces people to look within and really question what the hell this life is and what they're doing. 
when, if ever, do you think the first central bank will start adding Bitcoin to the reserves? And the add-on question is, will they even exist in 20 years, in your opinion? Uh, never and no, um, right? Because as soon as they do, they basically render themselves obsolete. Um, or Yeah, I mean, because Bitcoin is a direct response to the conceived ills of central banking. Um, maybe... Maybe uh, I could say, that's the other thing. I go back and forth. I don't know. Uh, I could see like uh, some African central banks or South American central banks adopting it. But again, um, what's the point? What's the point? And the, the, the central banking system is so interconnected anyway. And if one does it, you sort of question the validity of all others, I would argue. Um, and uh, yeah, like again, I do believe there will be a banking system, but uh, when it comes to, I, I can envision more of a free banking system like that that uh, existed in Canada in the late uh, 1800s um, where you have individual banks using Bitcoin as a, as a reserve to issue their own little native currencies and maybe it's not even banks, maybe it's DAOs potentially, uh, people living within certain jurisdictions. Um, but uh, the central bank as we know it and the 12 bank governors meeting to decide interest rates i don't think will be uh will be a thing in 30 years yeah well when when monetary policy could be way wrong though. when monetary policy is baked in it doesn't really leave a lot of work for central bankers right i mean if, if, if the thing already yeah. has a monetary policy what are they going to do all right yeah. uh what is the biggest mistake you've made with bitcoin um spending it probably um some Bitcoin I've spent, I wish I wouldn't have, but yeah. Um, and probably being too pushy with it too, uh, with friends and family, forcing it, not forcing it on people, but uh, you find your Bitcoin zen when, when you don't feel compelled to, to, I mean, I do still feel as if my family and friends should get into it, but uh, uh, I think it's, it's wiser to just let them become uh genuinely curious and then come to you instead of trying to force it upon them yeah how do you feel about satoshi nakamoto bitcoin's creator being anonymous and the coins that he she they likely control um i mean satoshi being anonymous is the one of the special ingredients that stirs the stirs this drink stirs the straw um and uh so i think every genius i mean satoshi just this has been said many times there's nothing really I mean, it is innovative how he combined all the technologies, but there were pre-existing technologies that were combined in a genius way. And I think the it's very poetic the way he launched Bitcoin and, and sort of left the project and uh, has remained anonymous for the first decade. I think it's crucial, um, again, uh, to sort of create this mythology and, and uh, not only the mythology of Satoshi, but this sort of standard of the... He's a good-intentioned uh, creator, if you will, because he hasn't touched his coin. So, in the uh, he, she, it, they, um, and so the uh, when it comes to the coins, like, I don't think they'll they'll ever move. Um, I would imagine Satoshi burned the private keys um, and started mining under another anonymous anonymous uh, IP or whatever. And I hope that they still have Bitcoin outside of those wallets. Um, but yeah, I don't think they'll ever move. Um, there are some people 
who do think the, the I could see them moving in the future, but not uh, being uh, being detrimental for Bitcoin in the long term. And that would be if uh, if we get a decent amount of privacy at the protocol level, and Satoshi can uh, transact with a certain amount of certainty that he won't be discovered, and he can sort of contract jobs out to the world and pay bit people Bitcoin to do things like build things in cities or something like that. Um, that is a daydream. I don't think it'll <laughs> ever happen, but that is a that is a, a scenario which I was like, ah, what if Satoshi comes back to be a somewhat of a philanthropist that tries to help with the distribution by having people build shit? Um, that's I doubt that will happen. That'd be cool. Imagine being a fly in the wall, like assuming he you know destroyed his keys not immediately after you know a few years on. Can you imagine being a fly in the wall like for that intense moment? No, no. Uh, and then I actually, I wouldn't be surprised if Satoshi is Hal Finney either. Right. Um, right. So I think the fact that Hal is, uh, has passed at least temporarily um, is also, uh, actually, it's the Satoshi conversation. It always, uh, always draws ire. <laughs> all right, moving on then. Uh, what have you learned about yourself or how have you changed, if at all, as a result of learning about and interacting with Bitcoin? And uh, again, yeah, I think... You can do, I mean, it's a beautiful sense of, of power. Not power, but uh, know, it's, it's helped me sort of self-actualize. In a way. Like writing about it and talking about it and being passionate about it have helped me sort of become more confident in my abilities and my abilities to uh, communicate and write and talk about a subject with confidence um yeah no i think it's just again what we talked about like people stuck in nine to five saying like ah in that in that cycle and getting stuck in that cycle you think oh, i can never do anything outside of this like i'm not skilled enough or whatever and i was unemployed for a year and a half before i started marty's bed and i went from an unemployed loser to somebody who was uh i mean i wasn't an unemployed loser i was actively trying to get jobs and stuff <laughs> like that but it was tough it's tough for a while um but I went from zero to people taking my ideas seriously and picking up what I was putting down, and that was very empowering. And yeah. uh, I think Bitcoin was the impetus for that. Well, this is, you know, for people that are just listening to the rapid-fire portion, we, we did touch on this in, in the longer, further discussion portion. And I think it gives a lot of people, we, people the, it gives some, a lot of people something to express through, you know? So a lot of people feel... Because it's not we, we, we didn't grow up in, a, in an educational system where like those unique talents or traits that are unique to you are, are one, of course they're not cultivated, but two, you're not even really given much guidance into how to identify them and extract them from yourself. So you're just put through the same meat grinder and you get spat out at the end and said, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And it's like, well, uh, what, what, do you, what, what do you want me to do? And that's what most people do. And we, you know, when we finally decide, okay, enough is enough, I'm not going to that shitty job anymore, it's, it was super hard for me, and I know every, so many people go through this as well, because it's like, like, I feel this yearning for something. I know I have potential in some capacity, but I just don't know how to extract that from myself. I don't know how to untie that knot within me and actually put it out into the world. And one of the weird, wonderful things about Bitcoin is that, it is that canvas or that mirror or that medium 
that when people begin to interact with it, it they gain more clarity on that thing that's inside themselves that they want to somehow express. And I'm not saying everybody's got to do a podcast or got to write shit or whatever. I, I think it's going to it's going to draw out of people, you know, the nature of Bitcoin is going to draw out of people what their their most useful gift or tool or talent is, if they stick with it, if they work with it a little bit. And that's great because that's not that's not uh, that's not a, an education that we we got in our in our upbringing, you know. And and I do think that's the key to happiness is defining that thing, that expression, that from which you derive meaning. But it's fucking hard to find that and it's especially hard to find it in a capacity that's going to support you you know in, in the physical world so to the extent that bitcoin is providing and that's amazing um and just to piggyback on that like if i can give anybody a shot of advice on that it's it's applied it, it is hard like so when i quit i decided to quit the managed futures fund because i was looking ahead of me like where i would climb the ladder and end up 10 20 years i was like i don't want to be there this dude's balding seems pretty miserable right. like this is not the life i want so i pulled the shoot and decided to take a digital design boot camp over the course of the summer of 2014 and um, really took a risk and tried to transition from finance to tech and from something again I had that yearning I was like I, I, I can't do this anymore like I want to focus on other things like I felt compelled to learn about code and software just because of the nature of, of the world and so I did that but yeah again it led to um, I had a job. I did the boot camp, came back to New York, had a job working at a software company, uh, basically selling offshore resources. It was great to learn about code, but again, turned into another monotonous job. And I, just me personally, I can uh, I can only take so much of that uh, cage torture. Yeah. So I pulled the shoot on that, expecting I'd be able to get a job pretty quickly after. And yeah, it turned into a year and a half of unemployment. Um, that was really predicated by me wanting to find something that I was passionate about. And it was a tough year and a half. Yeah. Uh, it was very tough, but it was worth it. Uh, it was a tough, yeah, my twenties were a weird, weird decade or still, I mean, I'm still in my late twenties. Like the, uh, first eight years of my twenties were definitely on their ups and downs, but especially if there's any young people listening to this, like I'm very, uh, very happy that I pulled the shoot a couple of times that I did. Uh, again, you only have one life. Uh, a little bit of struggle is not, it's not ideal. I mean, actually it is ideal. It's not, uh, it's not fun when you're going through it, but you'll appreciate it looking back. Yeah, man. And if I can piggyback on that, I mean, not that I, um, and in, in really a position to give advice, I always, I don't know, I'm not, I don't really like doing it, but to the, you know, to echo what you just said, you know, I've been in a number of different careers and I've had periods in between those careers of a year, two years of, you know, basically unemployment. And, like you said, they're really uncomfortable. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And you, you know, you don't know how you're going to get through. And I just think the most important thing is, like you said, not to be afraid to pull the shoot when you know this just isn't filling up your cup, right? Like when, when you know this just it isn't for you. And not to give up on that pursuit of, of, of finding the th – like if you have that faith that it can be better and, and it, you know, you can find that thing from which you derive meaning that you actually fucking enjoy doing, don't give up on that no matter what, because it's whether you find it at 30 or 60, I, I still think it would be a worthwhile thing once you get it. And I'm, you know, I'm no, by no means there yet, but I'm starting to sniff out the trail a little bit more than in the past. And, you know, it's, uh, it's life changing because if you wake up in the morning, you actually are excited to engage in the world, then 
you know, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Yeah, no, it's, it's, again, it's scary, but it's incredible. And as somebody who just got uh, the invite to his 10 year high school reunion, the shit flies. It's crazy. Like, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's insane how fast it goes. you'll wake up again, speaking to, to anybody out there in their late teenage years to early twenties, like it, it really goes fast. So make sure you're, you don't want to wake up in your late twenties and be like, what the fuck am I doing? Um, well, it's still early then, but like you just try to avoid the "what the fuck am I doing" feeling. Yeah, and and one final tip on that point: you might be able to avoid that situation if you don't try to have it all like your first year out of like like if you a little bit of patience early on is probably going to go a long way. Definitely. All right. Uh, at what price would you permanently sell over seventy five percent of the Bitcoin you hold, <laughs> assuming there's no necessity to do so? Um, there. There is a necessity to do so? No, assuming there isn't. So just, you know, if the price has gotten to a certain point that you want to cash out. I don't, uh, I don't think that, yeah, like I believe in the, the, uh, the Morpheus Neo meme of Bitcoin. So you're telling me one day I'll be able to sell my Bitcoin for a million dollars and Morpheus is like, no, Neo, I'm telling you when you can, you won't have to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm not even going to have to sell. I mean, it's actually... Like, there's no particular price point, but there is a point at which I would buy a house with Bitcoin. Um, it depends what that house is. and um, But again, I'd also, that's the other thing. Like, I could just use my Bitcoin as collateral to take out a loan and keep the Bitcoin as long as I'm able to make money and pay back that loan. So I would try at all costs not to, not to sell my Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, and there's no really price in my mind where I'm, like, waiting to pull the trigger. So, um, yeah, I'm... I guess I'm a pure hodler in that way. Have you ever purchased other coins? If so, are you likely to do so again in the future? Uh, yes and no. Uh, no, like I don't, I don't, I don't, unless something. At this moment, I don't see myself buying many other coins. What is your most controversial or contrarian view or opinion, if not on Bitcoin, any subject? Fair game. Um, controversial on Bitcoin. Um, trying to think. I mean, I'm not as worried about, and this is—I don't think this is controversial though. Like, I'm not worried about the fee, the fee market developing in the long run. Um, that's not very controversial. Um, yeah, I think again, what we touched on earlier with Satoshi, like this might be the most controversial thing. Like, I think there is a scenario in which he could come back, move his coins, and it would be okay for Bitcoin. Right. Uh, yeah. Ballpark estimate of Bitcoin's price in five years. 2024 be near another having um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the 500 grand to million price point at that point do you believe there are reliable ways at spotting a paradigm shift if so what are they um, I mean, yeah, obviously I do think there are, there are ways to identify one because I think we have identified one. What are they? Um, I think you have to look for the signs in the, the existing paradigm to, to force you to look for a new paradigm, right? So I think what helped me discover Bitcoin and the new paradigm of this monetary uh, phenomena was figuring out how fucked up the, the current paradigm was right. and sort of forcing 
So understanding your current paradigm and whether or not is it is uh, broken or working is probably the best place to start. Right. Do you have a morning routine? If so, what is it? Just write the bent. That's it. Um, that's uh, drink, walk to the coffee. If we don't have coffee, I'll walk to the coffee shop, get my wife and I a coffee. Um, and then, yeah, write. Sit here and write. That's about it. It's a good routine, writing. It's calming. I used to, I used to wake up in the morning and, and write for half an hour as a matter of routine. I liked it. Um, how do you define success? Happiness. I'm happy. Just tummy's full. Um, yeah, just happy. Where or who is your go-to place to learn more about Bitcoin? Ooh. TFTC.io. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, the Nakamoto Institute, uh, in my mind, is, is probably the best one-stop shop resource for really understanding Bitcoin, where it fits into the monetary, uh, how it fits in as a monetary phenomena, um, and the, the cypherpunk technologies that led to Bitcoin, and sort of the ethos of um, the, the cypherpunk movement combined with Austrian economics. I think it's the, they're both pretty tied hand-to-hand -hand with Bitcoin, and I think uh, Pierre and uh, Michael Goldstein have done an incredible job of, of aggregating uh, an incredible amount of content in one dense location. Final question. What is the one most important action myself or anyone listening can take today to up their game in your area of expertise or as it relates to Bitcoin? So if people want to improve, what's something they can do that you think is kind of a high impact uh, action or activity to take? Right. Write your thoughts down. It's helped me out immensely. Um, and then if you're so, if you have the courage to share them, share them too. And like we said earlier, like how Bitcoin Twitter is Socratic. If you put your ideas out there and they happen to be bad ideas and they get fixed, it's, uh, it's a good thing. Um, so one, get clarity of your ideas and writing really helps do that. And then two, uh, test them. Yeah, I love that. I, I couldn't agree more. I think regardless of the subject or where you're at with your thinking of it, it helps you to refine your thinking around something and it helps you to gain feedback and, and refine it even further. And there's obviously a huge personal growth benefit to expressing yourself through whatever medium and seeing what it looks like outside of your own brain. All right, last part, word association, you know the drill, all right? So first one, Satoshi Nakamoto. Bitcoin. Government. Um... Bad. Hash rate. <laughs> Good. The individual. Liberty. Security. Uh, guns. God, why is that the first one? Uh, <laughs> Ego. Uh, avoid. Greed. Uh, inevitable. Stacking stats. Wise. This, wise. <laughs> Fiat currency. Uh, dying. Guns. Uh, protection. Tales from the crypt. Uh... Cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> Matt O'Dell. Uh, uh, brilliant. Altcoins. Hard lessons. Pizza. Uh, Joe's Pizza. That's what I'm thinking of now. That's what I had last night for dinner. Nice. Trump. <laughs> Psycho. <laughs> Future. Future? Um, 
Fast. Fast is what comes to mind. Libra. Uh, <laughs> um, annoying. Gold. Meh. No, not meh. That's a bad one. Uh, well, it was the first thing that <laughs> came to okay, my mind. Yeah, it's all. Yeah. Bitcoin. Uh, addicting. Marty, that's it, man. That's all I got for you. John, thank you. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Man, I, uh, I, I appreciate you giving me the time. We did about an hour and a half. I know you, you probably got a lot of stuff to do, so I do really appreciate it. Super fun to chat. Is there anywhere? Uh, I know a lot of people, listeners are going to know your, your stuff already, but for those who don't, you want to just throw some stuff out? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Marty Bent. Um, I write Marty's Bent, which is a daily newsletter. And then, of course, we have Tales from the Crypt, uh, uh, colon, a Bitcoin podcast on your local podcasting station. And then, yeah, we, we aggregate all of our content at tftc.io, um, uh, sort of brand that we've been building. And so you can find Marty's Bent and the podcast there. Um, yeah, that's probably, probably best. Yeah, and uh, everyone, the podcast is awesome. If you... If you're looking for Bitcoin-related content, Marty and his occasional co-host, Matt, do an awesome job at uh, just informing everybody. Some good color there, no-nonsense uh, dialogue, which I think endears a lot of uh, your audience to you guys. Um, if I'm ever coming through New York, I'd love to uh, do a face-to-face one of these things, either on yours or on mine, but maybe get a little whiskey in the mix and, and loosen it up a bit next time. But uh, until then, man, I wish you... Uh, all the best in your endeavors, and uh, we'll, we'll talk in the future. Awesome. Definitely let me know if you come to New York. That would be great. Will do. Take care, brother. All right. See you. Cheers. Bye-bye. What's up, everyone? I hope you enjoyed that rapid-fire segment with Marty Bent. Like I said at the beginning, if you want to hear more, Marty and I did about an hour of an open conversation. You can find that at the Further Discussion episode with Marty. Just head on over to your podcast app, download that, and enjoy. Thank you for checking out this episode. You are fucking awesome. Later.